about them Irish. I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. The Fighting Irish of Notre Dame get a big road win against the Duke Blue Devils. 38-7. to I'm joined by Steve. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. What do you think of the game, Steve? Disappointing we didn't win by more. <laughs> um, I thought it was going to be a trap game so did uh, P-Wagon at the uh, very beginning of the year you said it was going to be Virginia Tech you were correct we were very wrong we went in and blew the doors off of them they stink typical ACC middling um, I think the program is still on an upswing but that's uh, I think an overall trajectory obviously they're having a down year so we won <laughs> Yeah, it was a quite a forgettable game, actually. Um, I think we beat them by uh, almost as much as Alabama beat them at a neutral site. Not quite there. It, it felt like we were going to blow them out, and then we did classic Notre Dame things and kind of let them back in it. And then it kind of like, yeah, we went into half, only up, I think, 14, and then from there um, we, we took over the game, which I, I felt we would. I was a little surprised, honestly, that we played so well. I had predicted a closer game. I predicted a 10-point game. Um, not only did we win by 10, we won by 31. Um, basically, I'm going to attribute that to mostly the defense. I think uh, we had a very good quarterback performance as well, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, but overall, it was just kind of a well-controlled game. Um, the Irish are a better team, as you would expect. Um, we just didn't know what version of Notre Dame we would get now that the season is, you know, somewhat done. So uh, I'm pretty impressed with the team's performance. It gives me a lot of hope moving forward. I, I think that I was worried that we were kind of slipping into a, a regression and that we weren't as good as we thought. But after that win, I feel pretty confident in our analysis that we are, a, you know, a top 10, 15 team in college football this season. So trying to think, there, there's not much going on in that game at all. Was there any moments that you uh, kind of recall? Um, in particular, I mean, not really. It was kind of just systematic. (laughs) It was, it was kind of just, you know, systematic, automatic. We get the ball, we move the ball, we get in the end zone. You know, our defense absolutely stifled them every step of the way. They could not run the ball. They obviously couldn't pass. Yeah, it was just uh, it was a feel-good dominant game, uh, exactly like you mentioned. <clears throat> Excuse me, I, I'm sorry, I'm disgusting. Almost throwing up into microphones. Um, yeah, it's just these are the, the games that we look forward to as a program, which is we should win, we do win. There's no doubt in mind. the th- The thing is over by the end of the first quarter. Um, you know. And and the only concern is make sure that everyone leaves the field healthy, which didn't happen. Um, but it's it's you know good teams win, great teams cover, and and also great teams blow out the teams that they're supposed to. Uh, and that was the case here. So I still exactly like you said, top ten, top fifteen program. I I tend to think top ten um, in in the nation. We just kind of got the shit under the stick on a 
uh, on, on a few different uh, you know plays and in, in throughout different games this year. But it is what it is. I still think this is a great program. It's good to see that we bounced back and had some fight. Yeah, no, I, I recall. I mean, we tweeted out from the account that Ian Book was deliberately trying to keep the game close, so <laughs> Phil Jerkovic couldn't get in and show that he was better. It felt like at some point in the game we were just not quite blowing them out. Like it was twenty-eight to seven, and it's like all we needed was that extra little oomph um, to really bring in the backups, and we just weren't there. We were blowing them out, but not by enough, and it felt like we really should have been winning by more. Um, but I'll, I'll break down the stats here, just the box scores. Um, third down conversion is a big one we've talked about this year. Notre Dame was 53% on third down. It's pretty good. Um, obviously, you'd like for that to be higher, but you, you can't really complain against uh, on a road game against Duke. Duke had 18.7% third down, so that's, that's a key one there is winning that third down battle. In terms of overall yards, the Irish over double duke uh, 469 nice to 197 uh, 181 of ours came through the air and 288 came through rushing um when we look at yards per attempt the irish were averaging 5.7 passing yards per attempt duke 3.3 and then rushing yards per attempt notre dame really boosted up their their usual statistic here they went to 6.9 per uh, versus 3.2 for Duke. So Notre Dame's defense holding strong and their offense getting a better run game in. I think a lot of that has to do with the quarterback, which I'm sure we'll we'll get into. Uh, and both teams turned over the ball twice. So it was a fairly standard box score. It actually doesn't look too dissimilar from the Virginia Tech game when I had said, you know, we didn't really, it didn't feel like we deserved to win. But when you look at the box score, you would have thought Notre Dame won by, you know, two or three scores. So kind of looking here, I would say that's probably a fair result overall. We seem to have controlled them in the ground or on the ground in the air. And uh, that's just kind of it for me. What do you have to say? Uh, yeah, so we got uh, above average production uh, in the run game from Ian Book. He had like 139 yards or something like that. So Ian was was great running the ball. I uh, really wish he didn't get tackled from behind on a few of them. Would have been nice to see him break the long run. But um, hey, whatever. He uh, he got the job done. We had over 200 yards rushing because of it. Would have been nice to see our backs, uh, you know, scat around a little bit. You know, get skinny and and. and uh, in, in some particular holes and, and squeak free. I mean, I know Jameer Smith did on, on one relatively long run. I think it was about 25, 30 yards, but yeah. Um, anything they tried on offense, like I would literally, I, I was um, out to dinner. So uh, just to give you a kind of a, a funny side story, <laughs> and, and Dylan knows this, but most people won't know, uh, is you know, this game was obviously on the ACC network. Uh, I'm not paying for the ACC network. I'd rather, you know, that's literally just a waste of money. So um, I was like, all right, whatever, just this one game, one out of 12 for the year, one out of 13. I'll, uh, you know, I'll just go to like Buffalo Wild Wings down the street, right? It's, it's maybe 15 minutes away from me. And just this once, I'll just, I guess I'll just leave the confines of my own house. Thirty, the buff, the exact Buffalo Wild Wings that I was supposed to go to. Um, some idiot employee in the kitchen mixes two highly toxic chemicals, like uh, some sort of acetate, chlorine, friggin' ammonia, um, <laughs> and it's like this toxic chemical spill in the fucking kitchen. Ten people are hospitalized and one person dies. So what? <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we're like probably a customer not gonna... died or did an employee no, die? It was actually, I feel bad. It was actually like the general manager of the place. So like some stupid fuck employee, like screwed up chem- all the chemicals. Then the general manager or I guess shift manager like ran into the kitchen and tried squeegeeing out all the, the chemicals like outside as quickly as possible. And he did like credit to him. And then in the process just inhaled too much and like his lungs and brain just like gave out and he just like passed away in the hospital tragically, which sucks for him. Obviously, you know, that that's a terrible situation for him to die by trying to do his job. But I mean, keeping it as lighthearted as we possibly can in the face of tragedy, it just goes to show that it's just my friggin' luck. Uh, I have plans to finally leave the house on a Notre Dame Saturday uh, and, and, you know, there's just like toxic chemical spills following me around. So I had to find another place. And while I was out to dinner, you know, I, it's, it's first down and 10, you know, Duke has the ball waitress comes over, asks what beer I want. I browse the beer list. I pick whatever beer I grab. I look up and, you know, Chris Fink is fielding a punt, like legitimately 14 seconds later. Um, so uh, it, it felt like there was just a three and out all all day, every, every single drive that they had. So defense was just absolutely dominant. Fair point. Like, I, I thought they were um, pretty, pretty stout throughout. I mean, Duke doesn't really have necessarily the greatest offense like we had touched on, but um, it was a good performance overall. Um, I would like to highlight two things before we move to our horsemen. One, Phil Dracovic did not get enough game time. We all knew that. We all wanted him. When he came on, he looks good. He looks like he's going to be like the next Tim Tebow, man. Like this guy, he's a running quarterback. I, I love it. Like they, quarterback runs are so much different than running back runs because it, it's usually um, you just get more out of it. You know, the defense doesn't account for it. Um, it's usually spontaneous. But I, the way they've been doing it with him, he gains a lot of yards per per attempt, and you know it was too bad we didn't get to see him throw the ball more. I know he's your baby boy and our Lord and Savior, but I, I think I'd like to see him more, um, just so we can have an idea of who to go with if we do get into a big bowl game. It's going to be book, but I would like to see more Phil. I want to see him throw the ball in game. For those of you new to the show, we had started off this whole podcast, the three of us being just huge. Phil is our savior. Um, Steve, to his credit, has stayed on that ship forever. I kind of jumped off during preseason when it when it didn't sound too good, but I'm back on now. Um, I think we've seen enough from him. I think he's more confident. And it was, it's just we need to see more throws. We need to see him get some more game time action. Uh, but whenever he does, he looks good. Um, the other thing I want to touch on, Julian Okora, um, out for the season. That's really rough. Um, he was uh, a first-round draft talent. Um, I don't think he produced quite as well this year as we expected or as much as we we would have seen last year, but still an elite talent nonetheless. It's going to hurt um, losing that edge rusher. Um, Steve, what are your what are your thoughts there? Yeah, it definitely sucks. I still think he'll be um, probably a fir- late first, uh, early second round pick. Um, I I don't think the the drop off in terms of production is necessarily because he's not as talented. I think obviously, uh, between him and and Khalid Kareem, 
opposing quarterbacks know for a fact that they have two and a half to three seconds to get this ball off. Same with uh, opposing offensive coordinators. So they're just basically, I mean, have we been beaten over the top yet this year? Has there been like a single throw downfield that we've been beaten on? I don't think so. It, every single it's it's all dink and dunk against us and that's how you have to play Notre Dame and and even when you do dink and dunk I mean we uh, we have great tackling corners uh, Sean Crawford had a couple big hits Dante Vaughn for his credit uh, a couple a couple nice open field tackles um I, I I'm pretty sure I I'm I'm almost in like 97.8 percent positive that Kyle Hamilton is like literally perfect uh, so every time he lays the lumber on someone, it's just like so technically sound. It's insane. And then obviously, uh, Aloe Gilman and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, Jalen Elliott are, we, we know they, they can lay the lumber as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's the, the way that the, these games have been game planned is you're not getting over the top on Notre Dame. It's all underneath passes and, um, and that's why teams are having such a hard time getting uh, the ball downfield against us. And, and that's also why we're not seeing as much uh, sacks. I mean, we definitely have the pressures there. I'm sure if you looked at the pressures, they're probably similar in nature. Uh, they're not getting the sacks just because, you know, you know, opposing quarterbacks are definitely not holding on to the ball nearly as long this year because they know that if they do, it's a death sentence. Now, I'm going to ask you this question here, and I, I suppose the uh, the listeners couldn't contribute to send us your thoughts. Do you think this injury is going to significantly cost Notre Dame the rest of the season? I don't think in the regular season it will. Uh, I think that the the scheduling is just not significant enough to, um, to the point where, I mean, who are we playing next game? A, a, literally a team that it doesn't matter in terms of pass rush, Navy. Um, then after Navy... Boston College. Boston College, uh, we, we, they're going to run the ball with A.J. Dillon. Uh, so, okay, you just get a guy that can stop the run out there on the edge. Uh, Adi Ogundeji is, is pretty friggin' athletic. I mean, he's like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, six, like 2-something. He's an athletic freak, man. I know he was only a three-star, but he's, he's also been on, on campus for a couple of years now, and he's really developed into an f- absolute freak. Um, yeah, and don't forget you have true freshmen uh, Nana Osofa Mensa and also uh, Isaiah Foskey, uh, who are available both weak side defensive ends, which is what Aquara was. Um, and then uh, on, on the same token, and, and then the, the final game of the season. What, what, what do we have? Three games left. Uh, yep, Navy. Stanford. Yeah, Navy, uh, Boston College, Stanford, so, and then Stanford is an absolute disaster. And no one, I don't think there's anyone we have to worry about in terms of. Again, I think we can just play our game and beat them naturally. Um, Brian Kelly has never won in Palo Alto. Fact. That is that is one of the more concerning things. But I, I feel like we can – obviously this will finally be that break uh, of the curse year. I think it's going to hurt in a bowl game um, because I, I think, like I mentioned, we're getting um, probably Penn State, Oklahoma. I, I think we're a little bit too good to play Texas at this point, uh, potentially Alabama. Right. Um, no, no, yeah. no. <laughs> uh, yeah. So and, and to attack Lavoa, uh, he was terrible against the pass rush. I let me let me actually now that we're on that topic really quickly. Let me get you his statistics because I took a screenshot of this today, which is insane. So Tua with no pressure was 17 for 30, 394 yards, four touchdowns, one interception, passer rating 127 with all those numbers across the board are ridiculous. Tua against pressure, 
on Saturday against LSU. We'll get into this in a bit in a minute. Uh, two for eight, 21 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, 39 passer rating. So if we do play Alabama, if they're you know if if we're one of the the last teams in, assuming that Ohio State's going to blow the doors off of Michigan, they're a three loss team, and, and we can sneak into the top ten, get into a January bowl game, and let's say. You know, Georgia wins out. Let's say LSU wins out. They they meet, and then who knows what happens in in that uh, conference title game. <laughs> Odds are, at that point, you got Bama as the odd man out, or Oklahoma, like I mentioned, who barely survived, uh, or basically a, a very good program is who we are going to have to play, like Penn State, yeah. like I mentioned. We're well, going to need I... a pass rush in in that game, and that's where it's going to hurt. What I wonder, kind of talking bowl games, getting a little off topic though. Um, we Notre Dame signed with the ACC a partial agreement to get into the Orange Bowl so many times per decade or something like that. It was like, you know, they have an automatic bid three out of the 10 years, something like that. Um, so basically, whenever Notre Dame qualified for the Orange Bowl, they can get in. And I wonder with the college football playoff, assuming Clemson is in the actual uh, playoff itself, I wonder, if, is the Orange Bowl the one of the playoff bowls this year? No, it is not. Okay. At least I don't think so. It's very confusing because back in the BCS era, you would have like the Sugar Bowl or the Rose Bowl, and then they would then host the championship game as well. But in the college football era, those bowls don't exist when they are in the playoff as a semifinal, which is almost unfortunate because those bowls have a lot of history to them too, especially like, you know, the Rose Bowl where it's the Big Ten and Pac-12. But if the Orange Bowl is not a college football semifinal, then Notre Dame should get the tie-in to that if Clemson, of course, wins out and makes the playoffs. So that would be interesting because the Orange Bowl is what, ACC versus at-large? Is that the way it is? I believe that's correct. So we would then get an at-large team, which could be a second SEC team, right? If LSU's in the playoff and Bama and Georgia, let's say, are both not in the playoff, one of them is getting one big bowl game and the other one will get the other. Um that's really interesting. But, yeah, you make a fair point there. We're going to get a good team in the bowl game. I think it can hurt. But I'm also not of the belief that one injury to a star defensive end is going to be make or break for everything. Uh, I just I don't know how much the defense, the, the pass rush of individual players contributes to overall defensive performance. I think we're going to have an opportunity to show our depth, to show younger talent. Obviously, our is going to be missed. Um, he's a great player, but I think we could still, you know, win out the rest of the season with or without him. Um, yeah, that's it for me. Do you have anything you want to jump into? Really quickly, just wanted to mention that this year's two playoff games are going to be the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl and the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. Oh, man, corporate sponsors ruining the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so those are – yeah, that's it. But, yeah, that, I think that's that's where we're going to miss uh, Julian Aguara. Uh, this is obviously going to be that you know that last snap when he broke his, his tibula or fibula, uh, fibula it was. Uh, that'll be his last ever play uh, in a Notre Dame jersey, which sucks. Um, you know, but, I mean, damn, he was he was very uh, talented, and uh, I'm sure, yeah, we'll see him playing on Sundays in just a couple of months. So uh, happy trails to him. Thank you so much for for everything you did, Julian, and uh, obviously a, a quick and speedy recovery, so that way you can uh, you know get ready for the combine in April and and uh, make sure you make yourself a lot of money. 
So I, I did a little bit of research there on the Orange Bowl. I got this one sorted out. So between 2014 and 2025, the ACC has a deal with the Orange Bowl. Um, when the ACC is in the college football playoff and the Orange Bowl is not, the next highest ACC team will play in the Orange Bowl. The second tie-in will belong to the SEC, the Big Ten, in they get three games each in that 10-year span. And then Notre Dame gets a maximum of two games. So uh, there's a lot more to this Wikipedia page I'm not going to read while I'm recording. But it seems to me that uh, Clemson's going to be in. Basically, Notre Dame should have this tie-in. And then we could face either the next ACC team or we could play SEC or the or the Big Ten. Um, I'm sure there's some more technicalities here I could look at later. Um, but... Mm-hmm. Basically, that's what we're looking at is probably an Orange Bowl. If not, we'll probably get a, a tie-in elsewhere. Um, and I think, you know, I think this team still has it in them. But uh, losing a core, obviously, is going to hurt. Wish him the best. Like I said, he's going to be a top draft talent. And uh, we'll be seeing him play on Sundays. Do you want to move to our four horsemen? Because this might be a week where we actually have four horsemen. Yes, we actually do, thankfully. Uh, yeah, I'll let you take it away. You're the house statistician, and I'm sure you got everything teed up, so go for it, sir. So my fourth horseman is the defense as a whole. I could not pick a single person. I had sent in the group chat, are all these linebackers coming back next year because they were all fantastic. I really like what they've turned into this year. I thought our linebacker development has been great. Um, Drew White, um, number six. Is it Owusu Kamoro? Is that his name? Yep. Yeah, uh, I love those guys. I thought they were fantastic. The defense did really well. As we had mentioned earlier, they limited uh, Duke to 3.3 yards per attempt passing and then only 3.2 on the ground, and they forced two turnovers. Just a great performance overall. My third horseman, I went to Chris Fink, finally having his first game of the 2019 season. He had five receptions for 49 yards and two touchdowns. I thought he was really all over the – he was more dynamic. He was uh, more involved got himself open some in some routes that he ran um second horseman for me chase claypool the goat he's a gangster five receptions for 97 yards that's 19.4 per reception he's a yak monster and he's a down the field monster and he's got one touchdown i had retweeted with our account i had personally tweeted that dame brugler a draft um expert really uh, works for various different companies he, i asked him what he thought of claypool and he thinks claypool's an early day three guy um, and I think that's going to change. I think Boykin was seen as an early day three guy or late day three guy, and he jumped all the way up to what round to go in three. Good round. Um, yeah, I think Claypool is going to be one of those guys who stock increases. The more people get to watch his tape and the more people get to see how athletically gifted he actually is. Uh, like I said, dominant in the air, uh, yak monster, um, it's circus catches too. So Claypool for me was our second horseman. And then the first horseman, I went with Ian Book. This might have been his first game of the year too. Uh, that was good. Um, he had a 92.6 raw QBR, which of course is fantastic. That was adjusted down because Duke sucks to an 87.5 QBR. Again, that's still fantastic. Um, and he had 139 yards on the ground. His passing performance was okay. Like he had, he hit about 54 to 57% of his passes. He only threw for 180 yards. But he complemented that with a great running game. He averaged 11.6 per attempt. So those were my four horsemen. Steve, what do you got? Yeah. Um, all very similar. Um, but I, I do, did pick out two specific uh, defensive guys 
Uh, Troy Pride had six tackles, three solo, and then an interception. Um, you know, Troy is 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 freaking talented, man, and, and he's really quick. Um, I think sometimes he lets a little bit get too much in front of him. Um, <clears throat> but I'm not gonna break down his game. I'm just giving him props here. Uh, so he uh, he definitely had a good game statistically. Uh, Drew White specifically seven tackles, five of those solo. Did even come in for a sack. He uh, he was all over the field stuffing tackles at the line of scrimmage and you know I mean the the defensive line was was monsters as well and and um you know uh, the entire linebacking core uh Wu White um and then Amara Belisle uh, Asmar Belisle I mean they they those guys are are awesome so uh but but White did stand out Chris Fink hey how are you welcome to the season finally broke out I th- is this his first game with a receiving touchdown this year might have been it definitely feels like it. Um, so, th- and and I think of his five receptions, I believe four of them were on third down to convert, which feels uh, obviously awesome for him to to emerge as a third down target because that's what we need. Because obviously, you know that teams are going to zero in on Chase Claypool. So, as Ian Book, if you become predictable, you become beatable. So, uh, if if Fink can continue to be in the slot shifty guy and um, you know open up the outsides for both McKinley and and Claypool, I think we stand a chance. And then you can't forget, obviously, uh, Cole Komet as well, uh, or Tommy Tremble. I mean, we have a lot of weapons if they all play up to snuff. So it's good that that um, in this game Fink started pulling his weight. So shout out him. And then obviously Claypool five ninety seven, and uh, and a touchdown. I mean, what else is there to say? We are we are full blown stands of Chase Claypool. He is astonishing. He is awesome. We obviously are high on him. I I think he's gonna be a you know if if Miles Boykin was drafted in the third round, there's absolutely no reason whatsoever that uh, Claypool is not at the very least a second-round pick uh, if, if we're just going apples for apples comparison. But, uh, yeah, I mean, ev- everyone played well. I mean, the entire defense was dominant. Defensive line, Kurt Heinisch, Myron Tagalovoa, Amosa, you know, everyone. Everyone played great, so very happy at the performance. And, and we finally, for the first time in weeks, have four actual horsemen. So, thankfully. And what would your juice in my nuts moment be for this game? My juice in my nuts moment where I got the most excited was actually called back on a penalty. And that was, uh, <laughs> that was uh, Chris Fink, I think, what was it, 78 yards, uh, almost making it to the end zone from, from basically their own 10 or 15-yard line. Um, took a relatively short pass, got upfield, was cutting up the defense, you know, in, out, up, up and down the field, and finally gets brought down from behind. And sure enough, it would holding call called on Trevor Ruland and a very soft holding call at that. Um, so that sucked. You know, my favorite play of the game uh, was ultimately called back on a penalty, but I think it, it I, I tweeted out, is this Chris, Chris Fink's magnum opus? Um, if he can continue playing like that, you know, he would have had over, you know, probably 120 yards and with two touchdowns, all things considered, uh, if, if that play has had stuck. So, uh, just keep that up, Chris, please. Yeah, I went with uh, the first Chris, or sorry, uh, yeah, that's his name, right? Chris Fink. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it's a long, it's one day for everybody. Um, I went with his first touchdown. To me, it set the tone for the game. It was a really nice uh, both pass and, and, and route run. Um, I honestly couldn't think of too many 
of that too many moments of that game. I've had a pretty busy weekend with uh, with sports and with school, so uh, my memory is not the best sometimes. And uh, so I went with the first TD there. Um, to be honest, the game was kind of boring actually for a lot of it. Um, there were some great moments, obviously, when we scored, but um, it felt like at no at no point were we even going to be in a ball game after the after we scored the first one. It felt like that was about it because Duke looked so awful. And um, and we looked pretty dominant. Um, so yeah, that's that was it for me. There was nothing too much to put the juice in my nuts. But uh, Steve, I'm gonna ask you now. College football had a pretty good week, didn't it? We had um, some huge games. Yeah, one could say this might have been the best uh, college football week of the year thus far. It was definitely very eventful, and there was a lot of marquee matchups. Let's get into them. Well. I want your opinion on this game first. We'll start with the the later game. I can't believe I saw LSU beat Alabama in my lifetime again. I remember when they beat them in 2011 before the rematch in the title game where they lost. But I remember LSU winning that game in overtime. I remember watching that game. And I didn't think LSU would ever win a game again against Bama. Bama looked so dominant. LSU had fallen off. And it felt like every year we were getting our hopes up for LSU to beat Bama. And then, lo and behold... You and I both pick LSU to win this week. And Joe motherfucking Burrow, give him the Heisman, baby. That guy put on a clinic. Steve, what are your thoughts on that game? Exactly what you tweeted out from the account. Uh, It just goes to show just how valuable being able to throw the ball is. Um, I'm pretty sure LSU's running back or the, and the team as a whole had less than like 75 yards heading into the, late in that game, like, you know, late in the third or fourth quarter, they, they weren't running the ball much, but they were able to put up 40 points. Hmm. How was that able to happen? Throwing the ball down the field. Uh, you know, so it's, uh, invest in the quarterback position. It, basically I'm taking verbatim your tweet here. So obviously cr- credit to you for, uh, for all season long stumping for, um, you know, for the passing game and Joe Burrow, holy shit, that was astonishing. Uh, and in the words of the great Ed Orgeron, roll tide, what, fuck you. <laughs> well said, well said. Um, honestly, I've been also kind of reading up more on the Orange Bowl stuff. <laughs> Sorry to get <laughs> back to it. Um, it seems like the ACC automatically gets a team. So whether Clemson or not is in the playoff, the ACC is getting a team. So if Clemson is like the winner, like the fault, like the, uh, the runner up will be playing. And in which case Notre Dame does not replace them. Notre Dame is just competing with the big 10 in the SEC. So there's a good chance we actually don't get into the orange bowl. If there's a higher ranking or more attractive team. Anyway, just wanted to clear that out of the way. It's relevant because of all the shifting we're seeing in college football right now and how everyone's going to jockey for position at the end of the year. But there's another game I want to talk about. And it's a game that won the hearts and mind, uh, at least of this Notre Dame fan. The Minnesota Golden Gophers. On this show last week, we said, I said, I wanted to pick them, but having seen who they've played this season, I didn't think they were that real. Boy, are they real. I tweeted on my account why I loved Minnesota. They're an underdog. They have more national championships than Michigan. Seriously, check that up. AP titles, they have more than Michigan. It's hilarious. And more than Penn State, actually. Anyway, they're an underdog. They played a good offensive style. I mean, they're a perennial underdog. Like, nobody expects them to even come out in the top three in that division. And they upset Penn State. And, oh, boy, was that a fun game. What are your thoughts on Minnesota? 
Yeah, um, P.J. Fleck, we've mentioned it before. He came in to this program, really turned it around. Uh, his entire uh, – I was listening to the Pat McAfee show, and, and Pat was um, was interviewing him, and, and, and P.J. was saying how everything that they preach from day one when their recruits get onto campus to when they enroll – to the last day that they step off is is be elite, be an elite in the classroom, be elite off the field, be elite on the field, be elite in the weight room. Um, so that's obviously their mission and their goal. And and holy crap, did they play like it? I'm pretty sure their quarterback went like 18 for 20 with like three touchdowns and like 300 and something yards. So he played just about as impeccable as a game of a game as it gets. Again, uh, a high quality, high quality quarterback leads to beating a, a top five program or top 10 program. Who would have thunk it? Um, yeah. So, um, wow. I mean, it, it was, it was awesome to see. Uh, it, it was kind of a, a bitch move for them to not play a, a night game, but Hey, guess what? At the end of the day, all that matters is putting as many, um, you know, marks in the win column as you possibly can. Nine and zero for the first time since 1904, when I'm pretty sure they played like the Rhode Island school for the deaf. Um, <laughs> so, hey, it, it, all that matters is they are nine and zero. They are definitely a top uh, ten, arguably a top six program at this point when the rankings come out, and they control their own destiny. They just have to make it at this point to. Uh, against Ohio State in the in the title game, assuming they win the, the remaining three, and um, wow, uh, good for them. And and PJ Fleck, you know, side eyes emoji. Yeah, I'm I'm rooting for them. PJ Fleck could be a next coach at Notre Dame. Side Unlikely, eyes. but that is <laughs> that is something that's been out there. Um, I, I'm glad you brought up rankings. I want to talk about Alabama for a second. How does the Crimson Tide get into the playoff? And I'm asking that rhetorically here because they, if this was Clemson that had lost, they are not getting back in the playoff, right? Because Clemson's got such a weak schedule. Um, they barely have any opponents. It's basically Clemson has to run the table. Alabama's schedule this year, and it's an off year. Usually I'm one to say Alabama has a good schedule. This year there's not much to it. What do they have as a good win now that they've squandered the LSU game? It's uh, what like it'll be a what sixth loss Texas A&M team by the end of the season, and then Auburn, who could be a four loss team. Like Alabama has nothing on that schedule as a big win, and they're not getting into the SEC title game, which would put them in that Notre Dame position of can you get in at eleven and one? I I think Bama's done. I mean they're not because the committee has this bias where because it's Bama we know they're good, and to be fair they are good, but we just know they're good that they deserve a higher ranking because of it. Well, on resume, Alabama is done. Unless something wacky happens, there are there's an SEC winner that's not going to be them. There will be the SEC runner-up who could be better than them. If especially if, if LSU runs the table and loses to Georgia, Georgia's in and then LSU is ahead of Bama. Um, you're going to have a Big 12 winner probably with one loss, but but with that 12th win um, Pac-12 could be the same thing. The Big Ten could have, you know, Ohio, like Minnesota could run the table and then Ohio State's 11-1. and one. Like, there's a lot that can happen. I don't see how Alabama gets in on resume. Not saying what the committee will do because the committee will always find a way to put them in. But what do you think there? Absolutely. They, they absolutely 100% 
all things being equal, assuming that you have an undefeated Big Ten champion, assuming that Clemson goes undefeated, um, assuming that both Georgia and Clemson went out and meet in the SEC championship game, obviously yeah. one of those are going to go. Um, I I just don't fundamentally see, and and then if you have Oklahoma that goes, I guess uh, eleven and one, and then twelve and one with the conference title game, or if if Baylor flips the script and just goes thirteen and zero, um, there is no possible justification for putting in Alabama, and this is what you get for playing like fucking Tennessee Institute for the friggin' I don't even know. <laughs> mechanical engineers uh, society of uh, of memphis i like institutional college they're just creating they're literally just creating like quasi high school teams to play in in you know, for one of their games so that and that's one thing that drives me insane just like one of the arguments for uh, for Notre Dame to join a conference is like, oh, we'll play play a thirteenth game, play a conference title game because you know so we we play more games than you. Do you though? Because you only play actually like four drives against one of these one you know, triple A teams. You 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 score four straight touchdowns. You put in your backups, and the game's over. So. Um, yeah, I, I kind of play shit teams. This is what happens. They scheduled very poorly outside of the conference and, and, uh, you know, they banked basically everything on beating LSU. They did not, and they do not deserve to get in at 11 and one, not, not in the slightest. I, uh, I, I put together, uh, a mock and basically you have number one, the sec winner. Let's assume it's LSU here for Alabama's sake. Mm-hmm. Two. You're going to have Clemson if they go 12-0, which they most assuredly will. Three, you're going to have a Big 12 winner. Or you, as, long as, the big, as long as, let's say, it's Oklahoma at one loss, the Big 12 is in. That Oklahoma with one loss that went 12-1 is ahead of Alabama at 11-1. Three, you're going to have the Big 10 winner. Um, it'll probably be an undefeated Big 10, but even if it's not, it won't matter. They'll have that um, extra game, and they'll have a better resume. Then you have the Pac-12 winner if they win if they're only one loss, and then it's Bama. And that's only if LSU wins the SEC. If LSU loses the SEC, that's another team ahead of Alabama. So they need the Pac-12 to lose two. They need then either Clemson to lose one, the Big 12 to have a two-loss winner, or the Big 10 to have a two-loss winner, which isn't going to happen. So on resume, I don't see how Bama gets in unless something astronomical happens. It just it doesn't seem possible at this point that they're going to get all of that because there's just too many factors at play here. They have five teams ahead of them if LSU wins this SEC. If LSU loses and Georgia wins the SEC, then you have six teams ahead of them. And I just don't think that's going to happen because most of those teams don't have a loss yet. Like Ohio State doesn't have a loss yet, and they can afford one. Um, anyway, we should uh, we should move on here before we spend too much time in the cl- in the playoff chat. Um, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on. Um, but let's look to week twelve games matchups. We'll do our predictions. Quick recap: uh, I went four and one last week. You went three and two. We're now eleven and four and ten and five on the year, which is pretty good. Um, we know our stuff when it comes to the biggest games. So, Steve, we have a rivalry game. In Ann Arbor, the Michigan State Spartans are traveling to the University of Michigan to take on the Wolverines. 13 and a half favorites for the Wolverines. What do you got? <laughs> I mean, as much as pains me to say this, I mean, Michigan State played 
like garbage in their most recent game, giving up what like three unanswered scores to close out the game to Illinois or something like that. Michigan's probably going to win. I mean, in the big house, um, I still maintain that Michigan is not that great. It was just, you know, with the fact that we played in a monsoon is the reason why we lost to them. I still think that Shea Patterson is bitch made and that uh, he is literally just not good at football. Um, Harborough is a little bit overrated or at least you know, from, from our conversation in, in years, years past in, in podcasts past. Um, I just don't think his system fits. Um, so Michigan will win, but I still don't think that they're great. They'll probably finish nine and three after they get the doors blown off them by Ohio state for a 32nd year in a row. Yeah, I agree. Michigan State sucks. Michigan's going to win this game, but go Sparty anyway. Uh, rooting for you guys. Um, moving on, down south, we got another big SEC matchup. The Georgia Bulldogs are three-point favorites on the road against the Auburn Tigers. Who do you got there? So this is a frisky one. Uh, Bo Nix, obviously incredibly talented, true freshman. Uh, that Auburn defense is is pretty darn good. Um, they're they could be better. They they could be worse, though. I'm pretty sure their their defensive line is is the truth. I'm if if I'm not mistaken, but uh, there's only so much in my brain that I can pay attention to these days. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I I think I'm still going with Georgia uh, when when faced with a basically an NFL ready QB versus a true freshman. You got to go with the guy that's been there, done that, and who's right who, who's got his team at the next level. Uh, Georgia has also allowed zero rushing touchdowns on the season, which is astonishing. And they've got, uh, they've got obviously absolute maulers on the offensive line. Uh, so I think they're going to be protected. They've got incredible backs. They've got, you know, they've got the QB. So I think they've got the recipe for winning this game, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt if, uh, if this was a spicy one. Yeah, I think I agree with everything you say there. I got Georgia, but that could go either way, um, especially where Auburn's at home. That could be a factor, but I think Georgia's the better ball team. Um, let's move on now to my new favorite team, not named Notre Dame. The Minnesota Golden Gophers are going to Iowa, where the Hawkeyes are three-point favorites. <laughs> and that's funny because that's how many points Iowa's going to score is three points. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, you might win with that. <laughs> yeah, right, true. Uh, big, big 10 football. So I, I, I think I'm just sticking with, uh, with Minnesota, uh, go PJ, go, go Gophers. Um, yeah, I'm officially, uh, hopping on the bandwagon right there along with you. The exciting program to watch. And I really want to see them battle, uh, Ohio state for the conference title. So go Gophers. Yeah, I'm taking Minnesota too. I think this is one they could lose though. Uh, maybe that Penn state game was just a little bit of home field magic. And then when they actually face a tougher and I, air quotes, tougher team in Iowa. We'll see. Uh, I think Minnesota will win like yourself. Um, now we're going to college game day. The Oklahoma Sooners are 10-point favorites on the road against the Baylor Bears. What do you got? Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I hate Oklahoma. I've never liked them. I think they're probably going to win this game, but... Um... You know, this is the the one non-favorite I'll pick, even though they could technically be the favorite since they're undefeated. Matt Rule's got a a hell of a season going down in Baylor, and I think it'll be interesting to see his team move on and, and continue to be undefeated. So I'm going with the Bears. Ooh. You started with one way, and then I wrote in Oklahoma, but 
I had to scratch that out. You're taking the Bears. I want to <laughs> not take so the fast, Bears. my friend. I want to take Baylor, but this kind of reminds me a little bit of Penn State, Minnesota last week, where I don't know if Baylor's really earned that pick no, yet. No, they definitely that they've played some tight games this year against some bad teams. So I'm going to take Oklahoma. Jalen Hurts in that Lincoln Riley system is just unreal. CD Lamb. You draft prospects out there, guys. If anyone's into the draft, that is the receiver to look at. Um, so I'm taking Oklahoma. Lastly, we got California, USC, six and a half point favorites on the road to Cal. Um, both garbage programs right now. Um, again, USC, based strictly on talent, is I think a top five program in the nation, just in terms of pure talent on the field uh, through just through their recruiting. We know they're always going to get high, high recruits, four and five stars like Amon Ross St. Brown. I mean, he's fucking incredible. Um, yeah. I, I think I'm just sticking with uh, USC. It's not going to be a sexy pick. None of our picks really are. I guess the only frisky one is Baylor, but we're, we're basically going straight chalk this week. I don't expect there to be any particular fireworks. Not so fast, my friend. Ooh, I'm taking the cow. What are they, the Golden Bears? or the, Gold Are Bears. they also the Bears? Yeah. yeah. Listen, home underdog as a thing. This is a night game. This is a rivalry game. And on top of that, Cal is like the greatest upset team of all time. They beat Washington this year. I think Cal's going to win. I think USC is a, a different animal when they're on the road. USC had a good week last week against Arizona State, to be fair. But I think California in that rivalry game is going to give them more than they can handle. So I'm going to go a little frisky there. I'm going to take uh, the Cal Golden Bears. That should lead us into who do you hate more? Um, I enjoy this segment because we get some fan feedback on it. For you this week, I've picked two teams that they're old. They're old teams. They're One of them's a blue blood. And the other one is like a quasi-blue blood. Not quite, but they have that kind of background. Both of them historic, but both of them pretty irrelevant in the last, we'll say, 10 years. Who do you hate more, the Nebraska Cornhuskers or the Tennessee Volunteers? I'm going to go with Nebraska here, and it's not like I have any animus towards either team. Um, Tennessee should be a little bit more hateable just because, like, you know— Every year they get hyped up, and every year they're like three and seven, and nobody knows what the hell just happened. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know. I mean, if if I were in the South, if I if if I were a four, four or five star recruit, um, I and I wanted to play in the SEC. Honestly, I'm probably picking either Ole Miss or uh, or Tennessee. And I know those are actually very conflicting schools or South Carolina. Those would probably be one of my top three. I, I wouldn't want to go to uh, Obama or LSU or Georgia. Um, if, if There's no reason why they can't recruit well. They're blue blood bro- programs, like you said. Uh, but you know that you can probably get on the field and start as like probably a sophomore. So I don't understand why um, you know either of those programs is, is not excelling in, in any capacity. But... Yeah, I think I'm going to go with hating Nebraska more, even though, um, yeah, I, I just randomly, uh, I just picking one one or the, over the other, I think I'd favor Tennessee. Now, Fair uh, enough. 
as for for you, did you want to put any input onto either other of those two programs before I asked my question? Not really. Uh, it's one I don't really have too much. I'd probably say, like Nebraska's a, a the blue blood there, um, but I hate the SEC and Tennessee's whatever. I'd probably say Tennessee, but I don't really care too much. Okay, fair enough. Um, I have a fun one for you and probably should have saved this, uh, for the final week of the season, just because it would have been a more apropos, uh, who do you, <laughs> Dylan, the Canadian, who do you hate more army or Navy? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, oh man. Well, I wouldn't say I hate either to be fair. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think I'm partial to liking Navy more because we play them. And that might sound counterintuitive because they're a rival, quote-unquote. But we play Navy, so I get to see Navy, and I think that makes me like them a little more than Army. But Army's good, too. Army's had a lot of big games with Notre Dame. I, I'd say I probably... I think I... I don't know. <laughs> when they play each other, I think I cheer for Navy, but I'm not too sure. I, I'd say I hate Army by the slightest of of touches that's a good one that's a really tough one and i think that also segues into our week what is this now week 12 game preview the navy midshipmen and the notre dame fighting irish notre dame is 76 13 and one all time against navy not including two vacated wins which would put us at 78 13 and one also the Notre Dame Fighting Irish hold the largest win streak against another FBS team in college football history, 43 consecutive wins against Navy from 1964 to 2007, where we lost in double overtime. Ugh. That is not a rivalry. That is beating up on a kid. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't get it, but whatever. Um, I did my should we play Navy rant last year, and I pissed off P-Wagon enough that I don't need to do it again. Um, Navy's ranked 21st in the country right now um, before the the rankings come out for tonight or tomorrow. Um, they're 7-1. and one. They're one loss coming to Memphis, who is currently ranked 18th. That was a road loss, 35-23. to 23. The game is 2.30 at Notre Dame. I do not understand why we're playing 2.30 kickoffs. In my memory, it was always 3.30. Yeah. And apparently we play, we play for a trophy. According to Wikipedia, and I, I know all our trophies, not this one, we play the Rip Miller Trophy every year since 2011. I've never heard of that. I don't know why. I know all my trophies because of the NCAA 2010 video game, which used to list them all in your in your games. I don't recall this one. So do you have any recollection of what this is? The trophy? No. Uh, I knew it was a rivalry game, obviously. Um, I did not know that there was a trophy involved, so this is news to me. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's cool that we get to play them. Um, there's there's a bunch of mutual respect between both programs. Uh, we always sing, go down and sing their alma mater. They come down and sing ours. Kenia Montalolo is a really cool guy, great coach, and he's brought that program into some relative prominence for for what their limitations and restrictions are in terms of recruiting obviously you have to be um fit for armed combat so that means you know they they can't get big juicy offensive linemen or defensive linemen so um yeah i, I don't know much about the um the uh, the no. the 
<laughs> I don't know too much about the uh, the trophy itself, but obviously a, a storied quote unquote rivalry, even though we kind of just been beating up on them since World War Two. Yeah, that seems to be it. It's kind of a, it's not really a rivalry. It's Notre Dame gets a win every year, although recently we've struggled. I think, uh, I don't know if playing this kind of team late in November every year helps us at all. I don't think we get much out of it because Navy's usually pretty bad, and plus we get injured a lot from them, and it's a tough game. But this year they are going to be our only ranked opponent, possibly. Um, so I look forward to it. Um, like I said, I have no animosity towards Navy at all, like any of our rivals. It's just USC and Michigan that I really hate. Um, Navy, I, I think of them like all the other teams where we have great respect for them. It's a very historic rivalry. Um, so I'll just get into it. Uh, some basic um, efficiency stats breaking, broken down like uh, like we do every week. Offensive efficiency, Notre Dame is 34th in the country. Navy is 9th. That might be scary because Navy can move the ball. Defensive efficiency, Notre Dame is 7th. Navy is 42nd. Uh, overall, Notre Dame is the 17th most efficient team in college football per ESPN. And Navy is 19th. Um, SP Plus, our advanced metric, has Notre Dame 22nd in college football and Navy 24th. So really, this game is kind of close when you look at those more advanced metrics there. I think it's a game not to take lightly. I think Navy has potential here. Navy always plays us tough. But Navy is Navy. We know them. We know who they are. They're exactly what we thought they were. Um, Steve, I'm going to let you do your little uh, your preview here and uh, prediction. Um, do you need me to stall? No, no, not at all. It's just we're going to have to be very efficient. Um, we're probably only going to grab the ball... Um, we're probably going to have seven to nine drives in this game. And if you don't put up points on at least four of them, then there's a potential that you're losing. Very, very high potential that you're losing. They are going to control the game. Um, so what we, the best thing that we can do, um, it's actually, I don't know, uh, there, there's one, there's two schools of thought is one, be very explosive. When you get the ball, just get the ball downfield, score as quickly as possible. At that point, you're really putting a lot of pressure on your defense because they're going to be on the field for, of the 60 minutes of this game, probably about 40 of them, 40 to 45 minutes. Uh, especially if you're more ex explosive, you're getting closer to 50 minutes almost. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot uh, to, to put on them. Uh, so the other school of thought is uh, just try to melt some clock yourself and, uh, you know, have Tony Jones and, and Jafar Armstrong, um, you know, do what they have to do in order to uh, to melt some clock, you know, get some deep long drives, 14 you know plays at a time, 80 yards and uh, still put up some points. But now at that point, you're now uh, you might have a little bit more possession and, and give your defense some rest. Uh, however, you have to be in, insanely efficient to do so just because you're probably only giving yourself realistically six chances to score. Uh, and we know that um, scoring has is, is not really been easy for us. Um, at, at, at least it feels like it comes in bunches. Maybe we'll have two great drives and like five really bad drives, then maybe one or two good and then another three or four bad. So uh, this is going to require a lot of consistency and efficiency. I think we have the capacity to do so, whether we uh, we 
we have that or not, or, or whether we show up and, and execute is just a matter of uh, of getting to the the game on Saturday. But yeah, I I expect to win. I think we will. Uh, we are just naturally bigger. Uh, we're naturally better, more talent, faster. Um, so there's no reason why we shouldn't. But Navy obviously has their game plan, and it's it's uh, it's hard to perfect your game plan around theirs basically yeah they're definitely a tricky team to play do you have a score prediction if i were to make an assumption i'm going to say this is going to be uh 24 14 irish fair i have this one 31 17 notre dame i think that we're going to have enough offensively and defensively to kind of keep the game where we want it uh, navy's going to have the ball but i think we'll be able to move the ball on them um, and I think we'll be able to stop them, which, of course, is how football is played. <laughs> um, I think that pretty much wraps it up um, for Horseman Pod on Twitter. We are on Instagram. Um, can't come hang out with us. Tweet us. Message us. We enjoy it. Um, Steve, do you have anything to say before we go? Uh, nope. I think uh, all that's had to be said was we're, we're kind of getting down to the, the final parts of the season where hopefully – you know, we focus less on the previews and and uh, you know uh, and recaps of the games just because hopefully at this point it's just kind of business as usual, just churning out wins, blowing everybody out, and then we can kind of focus on the carnage of college football playoffs. So these should, in theory, be be shorter episodes, but uh, again, we also have to take everything one game at a time. I feel like I'm a fucking coach giving a press conference. <laughs> like, uh, so yeah. Um, thanks everyone for joining on listening, share, spread the word. Um, you know, any, any Notre Dame, you know, any golden Domer fans that, you know, uh, you know, pass us along and, and as always tweet us and reach out cause we love the fan interaction. Yes. That reminds me something we haven't done on the show since we've taken over for P wagon, who's on sabbatical. Subscribe on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating and a review. We've been forgetting to ask you guys that. We have all these new listeners. So if you wouldn't mind doing that, helping spread our content, getting our uh, our product out there with reviews, that would be great. Um, again, I enjoy doing this. Some of the, the best parts of my week is doing this. And I look forward to keep doing it. So with that, go Irish, beat Navy. Go Irish. <laughs>